Everybody say, Coffee Cafe, June 1st. We love you, Brock. <laughs> uh, thank you, Lord. That's good. Hey, before we get rolling on the video, um, one administrative thing to cover, and that is I have two tickets in my back pocket, compliments of the Fry Vogel family, to go to the Wells Fargo this afternoon. For those of you who don't know what that is, you probably don't want to go with me. But for the four in the room that do, if you want to go with me, see me after the service. If you're a lady and you want to go to the Wells Fargo Championship with me, you probably need to see my wife before you see me after the service. Hey, Alex is preaching at the church that he got saved in this morning, which is, is pretty amazing. And so let's lift our pastor up and ask God to move. Father, in the name of Jesus, move in power, God. Pour out your spirit. Thank you, for, thank you for transparency. Thank you for vulnerability. Thank you for a pastor that understands that the best way to evangelize other people is to be transformed. And so, God, speak through him, God. Give him your words. Give him your heart. Let your sustaining power overwhelm him, Father. And we ask that, that your kingdom would not just come in words, but it would come in power this morning. And that, that people, to include our pastor, would never be the same after this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. You guys good? Ready to talk about unbelief? Ah, I know, that's such an encouraging topic. It'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be light. <clears throat> the title of the message is Overpowering Unbelief. I like that title. It could be close to being one of my favorites because when I said it, everybody in the room probably heard it two different ways. As in, overpowering unbelief in my life that's crushing me. Or, in the adverb sense, actually overpowering unbelief and putting it under me. And so I don't know which of those camps you fall in to, but we're all going to move toward the second camp this morning. Sound good? Cool. Matthew 10, 16 says this, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So Father, give us wisdom and revelation as we try to pull back the curtain and expose uh, a lie of the enemy in your heart to move us forward this morning. There's so many voices, y'all, in, in our culture in this day and age. They're everywhere. They're your family. They're your friends. They're your coworkers. They're your TV. They're your music. They're the books that you read. They're the advertisements that you don't want to see. They are everywhere. And there's not one single voice that doesn't have a person attached to it that's being influenced by a spiritual force. You guys get that? That's a good jumping off place. And, and what, what can happen to us is we can just be lulled to sleep by all the voices. And we can really get to a place where we, 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 don't, we don't really think that, that we're affected by them. If we're honest, I'll say this guy has that tendency. Is that fair? Have you ever had a, have you ever had a mentor Somebody you really looked up to, you know, a spiritual, spiritual influence in your life. And in the course of conversation, they were talking, and you heard that they, they listened to something, they read something, they watched something. They exposed themselves to some kind of influence, and you were like, dang, really? That's garbage. I look up to you so much. I can't believe you submit yourself to that. Anybody besides me that's ever happened to in the room, okay? 
Maybe it was somebody else, and you were that mentor. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. And, and the reason that happens, y'all, is because we have a tendency to be prideful and to think that we can put that garbage in, and it's not going to affect us. And, and that somehow we're the exception to the rule that the Lord shows us naturally in the body. We're talking food now. What goes in must come out. Here. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. It, it's, it's natural. It's, 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 it's anatomy, y'all. It's just the way it is, right? And there's, there's almost no picture in the natural in creation that doesn't have a spiritual reality attached to it, right? And so, so you may be grossed out, but you really need to catch something there. What goes in comes out in some form. That happens physically, that happens emotionally, that happens mentally, that happens intellectually, and that happens spiritually. So I think the first thing the Lord, you know, wants to do this morning is just a reality check, just a pride check. Breaking news, you're not the exception to the rule. Neither am I. Fair enough? Good start? Cool. Turn over to Mark 6. I want to show you a couple of scriptures because I think that the beginning place of, of overpowering unbelief and getting it under us is to acknowledge that it has power in our lives to cripple us and to, to impact us negatively. Until you get there, you're just in denial. Until you, can, until you and I can recognize that it's dangerous, we'll be passive towards it. I'll, I'll, say it, I'll say it that way, okay? We won't address it. So in Mark 6, 1 through 6, <clears throat> what we see is we see Jesus in his hometown of Nazareth. And it's rough. Like, like at, where's Becky at? Becky, you did a great job sharing. I think this bunch is hard to talk in front of, too. They're intimidating. Um, so Jesus is talking, talking in front of his, his hometown, and... Uh, and, and they're a rough crowd. They're rougher than you guys. So in 6.1, it says, Then he went out from there, came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things, and what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter? the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joses, Judas, and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us, so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. This is the tendency we have, y'all. Jesus and me. Jesus and me. We can, we can accomplish anything. And, and that's prideful. Right? That keeps us only focused on ourselves. And so one of the biggest things I think the Lord wants to talk to us about this morning is the corporate atmosphere 
either way, faith or unbelief, and the impact that it has. Because if it's true that if you just have this over-the-top, incredible life with God, he can do whatever he wants in and through you. In a body of believers, the mighty works would have happened right here. Right? Because Jesus had perfect faith, perfect power, perfect love, perfect knowledge, perfect relationship with the Father. And yet, because of an atmosphere of unbelief that a group of people created, the work of God was hindered. What the Father wanted to do was, 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 was choked because of an atmosphere of unbelief. Now, now this says, could not. We're going to read another one here in a minute over in Matthew that says, did not. And then I'm going to talk to you about why I don't want to split those hairs at all because it misses the point. So this group of people, they were not willing to move past what they'd always known Jesus to be. Brother? Carpenter, son of Mary and Joseph, this is who you are. And he showed up to say, yeah, I am this, but I'm so much more. And they weren't willing to hear that. The only thing they were willing to hear was the voice of the past, which was son, brother, carpenter. Right? And that, Jesus called that unbelief. And that unbelief, that unbelieving atmosphere, he called a dishonoring atmosphere. A prophet is not without honor, right? And so those two are tied incredibly together right there. All right, let's go over to Matthew. Go over to Matthew 13. I'm going to show you that one. It's of the same account, y'all. It's just Matthew's account. It's still talking about the same events. So it's 1353. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these parables that he departed from there. When he, when he had come into his own country, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, his mother, is not his mother called Mary and his brothers, James, Joses, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. We can, we can get theological. We can split hairs about could not and did not. And in my opinion, waste our time there. I don't care. And here's why. The outcome is the same. God still didn't move. And the only thing my heart, and, and I believe the only thing your heart is for, is for the Lord to pour out and move and do what he wants to do. And so whether he could not or he did not, either way, the move of God was stifled. Do you see that? It was choked out. And so what, what the takeaway is from these two events is unbelief has real power. An atmosphere of unbelief has real power. To either put God in a position where he cannot or put him in a position where he's not willing to. Either way, he's not moving. All right? You guys good there? Does that help you? <laughs> it helps me. 
here's the, here's the other reality, y'all, that I, I think is so important here. It's more than me. It's more than you. It's more than any one of us. Because again, Jesus had perfect faith. And it was the people, and it was the corporate atmosphere that had an impact. And so why is that so important? Because if we really get that, if we really catch that, we'll start pouring into each other like we never have before. If I actually, if I actually really start to believe that, that, that Anita's faith and walk with God has as much of an impact on what God can do in this place and what God can do in this body as my faith does, pouring into Anita will become a little more important to me than it is. That's why it's so important, y'all. We have to disciple each other. It's not my job. It's not Alex's job. It's not Vulo's job or JP's job. It's your job. It's your privilege. It's your honor. This is what following Jesus looks like. Now, if we really believe that, that it's a corporate atmosphere, it's a body of believers that's gonna take us where God wants to take us. Here's the proof in the pudding. Who are you discipling? You need a name, y'all. You need a name. Let's get real. Who are you discipling? Do you have a name? Do you have two or three names? Right? Who are you intentional about going to dinner with, going to coffee with, doing things outside of these walls with? Because their faith matters. Because you realize that, that if enough of us do that, we can usher in something incredible. Or if we're not interested in that, God's going to move on to the next body of believers and do what he wants to do right there. Because there's too much unbelief here. Are you with me? All right. We're off to a good start. All right. Let's go over to Mark 8. <clears throat> hey, if you didn't know, Mark is the gospel of unbelief. Right? One of his central themes that he's addressing is unbelief. And so if ever, if ever anyone's talking about a scripture and they're like, oh, it's about unbelief, you can just go, yeah, it's in Mark. And sound really spiritual. You're welcome. That was free. Mark 8, 22 through 26, we hear the story of the blind man. So, so hopefully what you've heard so far is unbelief has real power. Okay? That's it. That's all I'm trying to establish right now. Unbelief has real power. And it's more than about just you and your walk with God. Mark 8, 22. Then he came to Bethsaida. Let me stop. Bethsaida is a city that had some history. Okay? You guys remember the woes? Woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Those cities? Bethsaida was one that Jesus spoke to. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty works that had been done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago. So it's going to be more tolerable for them on the day of judgment than it is for you. And so Jesus had done incredible works in this city prior to this story. And that's important from a contextual standpoint. Okay? 22. Then he came to Bethsaida, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. <laughs> First point. What looks spiritual, not always spiritual. You gotta be discerning, y'all. You gotta have your eyes wide open. You gotta be hearing from the Lord. Because as we'll see, these weren't unbelieving people. And yet, Lord, they brought him a blind man. Please touch him, heal him. So I don't know what that was. 
I don't know if that was a, a show. I don't know if that was facade. I don't know if they were looking to expose Jesus. I don't know if they were hoping he would fail. I don't know what that was. Here's what I do know. It was not faith. But it sure looks like faith. 23, so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. That rocks me, y'all. It does. What we see here is we see three degrees of separation. All right? The first one is a request for a miracle, a request for a move of God. It sounds like you and all, you and I. Lord, pour out your spirit, move here, bring revival here. That kind of thing, right? And, and, and this is what Jesus does. There are there is no exchange, there is no teaching, there is no admonishment, there is no instruction, there is no nothing. This is what he does. Grabs his hand and walks. And they walk all the way out of town. You know, I was asking the Lord about this. I love to just walk through scripture and think and talk to the Lord. I wonder how far the walk was. <laughs> you know, I mean, small towns, mile, maybe two, maybe three, maybe five. I wonder if they talked. I wonder what they talked about. You know, I mean, think about this blind man. He can't even see Jesus. He's probably not even sure it was Jesus who grabbed him that he's walking with. Like, Lord, this may be Jesus. This may be an axe murderer. I don't know. You know? It's a trip. But the point is, was there was a request, God, come move right here. And Jesus immediately begins to separate himself and separate that man from an unbelieving atmosphere. And, and not until he got out of the town, y'all, could the miracle come. And there was, there was this is speculation. Ask the Lord about it. I think there was so much unbelief in and on that man from his atmosphere that Jesus had to pray twice to heal him. Ask the Lord about it. Why? Because unbelief has real power. Real stopping power to what God wants to do. First degree of separation, let him out of the town. Second degree of separation, praise God, you're healed. Don't go back there. Don't go back there. Don't ever go back there. Don't even tell them. Third degree of separation. So opposite what you and I would do. We'd run back into town. Look at what God's done. And Jesus says, don't go back. Don't even have a conversation with them. Cut yourself off entirely. From that group of people. That's what he said. Right? So the reason Jesus responded this way is because he had sober judgment about the power of unbelief. About the stopping ability of an unbelieving atmosphere. Right? He told this guy, go back to your house. And so, so hopefully his house was outside the town. Right? Go back to your house. But basically he said, Find a new group of people to do life with. Start your life over, people-wise. Right? So the miracle of God could not, did not, could not or did not happen in an atmosphere of unbelief. And the miracle of God, the move of God, could not or, or did not want to be sustained in an atmosphere of unbelief. It had to move here to happen, and then it had to stay here to be sustained. You see that? 
This needs to grab us, y'all. This needs to cause some alarm bells to go off in us. It needs to sober us up, wake us up, all right? We're going to see it again in the story of Jairus' little girl over in Mark 5. And again, we're going to see, you might call it two, I'll call it three degrees of separation. The point is separation. We've moved from unbelief has real stopping power to the answer is intentionally separate yourself from it. Right? Follow the Lord. Do what he did. Okay? So look at Mark 5, verse 21. I'm going to read some of it. I'm going to walk you through some of it for time's sake. Now, normally, what we focus on here is the one with the issue of blood. Today, we're all but, all but going to skip her. Because where the story starts is with Jairus and his request. So in 21, now when, when Jesus had crossed over again by the boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet. And begged him earnestly, saying, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, that she may be healed, and she will live. I would circle that, underline that, highlight that, mark it with some of your blood. Right? That is the point of faith. That is the point of promise. That is what he believed and he knew to be true about the character and nature of Christ. She's at the point of death. Come, lay your hands on her, and she'll live. Okay? You got the expression of faith? So Jesus went with them, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. All right? And so you had the multitude around. It was like, it was like rock scene, concert, people pushing against. The one with the issue of blood presses through, touches the hem of his garment. Power goes out of him. Jesus says, who touched me? I felt power go out of me. She, she cowers because in that culture she was a dead woman for being there because she was unclean. Finally, she comes forward, and Jesus says, woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then we'll get back to Jairus. Now, can you imagine? Imagine it was your 12-year-old girl at the point of death on the other end. And Jesus is trying to get through, and, and you just want to tell the crowds, like, get out of the way. Let him through so he can get to my daughter. And then you have this incredible interruption. Stops everything. Slows everything down to a speed of zero. But, but, but there is a saving grace here because the woman got healed. And so, so you believe that if he came and, and, and touched your daughter, she was going to live, and the Lord just confirmed it in front of your face. He really does have healing power. He really is a miracle-working God. And so you're encouraged. You're encouraged. You're like, this is great. I can't wait till we get to my house if we ever get there. Because look at this move of God. Except that 35 happened. While he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Holy smokes. Talk about a pendulum of emotion. He, this guy moved from, from expectation out of this world for a move of God to it's over. And a state of confusion and a state of probably anger if I was a betting man, that was supposed to be my little girl, and now she's gone. Right? Don't read ahead of me. Listen to me. You had the voice of belief. 
come and lay your hands on my little girl and she'll live. And right here, you have the voice of unbelief. Right? You have a contrary voice that says, she's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? It's like saying, she's dead. What can this guy do now? Right? That would be a little more to the point. Can't do anything. She's dead. Now, the Lord showed me something in this, y'all, and I'm excited about it. I want to share it with you. And that is this. If Jesus has the power to heal a headache or a common cold, he has the power to raise the dead. There's no difference. Right? If he has power over the natural functions of the body, he has all power over the natural functions of the body. And so nothing changed here. Nothing changed. But yet you had a voice that said, something's changed. Sickness was not too much for Jesus, but death is. That's what the voice said. And Jesus deals with it immediately. Immediately. Listen. Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid. Only believe. Believe what? Believe what you told me 30 minutes ago or an hour ago or whatever it's been, that if I'll come lay my hands on your daughter, she'll live. Believe that. Reconnect with that. That voice, not this voice. Choose that voice, not this voice. Believe. Believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. First degree of separation. Crowd and the messengers. The messengers that said, what can this guy do? No, you're not coming. Second degree of separation. The disciples, y'all, even the disciples. I'm not going to go so far as to say that maybe some of the other disciples had unbelief issues, but I will go so far as to say Jesus was particular about picking the three that he picked. He called them out by name. Now, the rest of the guys may have needed to stay behind for a multitude of reasons, probably to include crowd control, right? But the point was, as we'll see as we keep reading, Jesus was not taking anyone into this house. With any unbelief. So we can safely assume that Peter, James, and John were walking in a place where they had consecrated themselves and separated themselves from unbelief. And so they go here. They get to be a part of this resurrection, as we'll see here in a minute. And it was also the same three, Peter, James, and John, that got to see probably what we would call the most glorious moment of Christ on earth, which was the transfiguration. It was also Peter, James, and John that got to see probably what we would call the most intimate and vulnerable moment of Christ on earth, which was the prayer in the garden. Right? And so, so listen, y'all, I think there's more reasons. I think there's a multitude of reasons for Peter, James, and John, but I think one of them is how they set their hearts to separate themselves from unbelief. Okay? You good? All right. <clears throat> then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. When he came in, he said to them, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead. She's sleeping. <laughs> Listen, you know, I don't know about you. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but sometimes Jesus just sounds stuff that makes him sound like a crazy person. Right? Because that little girl was dead. She was dead. Right? But we have to dig a little bit. What was the Lord saying? 
This is a temporary condition. That's what he was saying. Like sleep, right? This is, this is about to change. Just like waking somebody up, right? But they wouldn't hear it. They wouldn't go there. Just like the first group. Just like the second group. They wouldn't hear it. <laughs> She's sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Those words would have been interesting to hear. <laughs> you know? He gave them an opportunity to step into faith and believe. And there was another voice present in the room. Because with Jesus, there's nothing that exists other than a temporary condition. Did you hear me? Right? They ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside. <laughs> oh, I love it. Here's what I love most of all. It's immediate. Bam. It's immediate, y'all. It's, it's harsh. It's sudden. You know? It's not without mercy. He gave them an opportunity. And they rejected it. And he said, bye. Peter, James, John, get them out of here. Actually, in the Greek there, it's by force. I don't think Jesus, like, broke out a whip or anything on these guys. But he used force. There was some body bumping going on, like, there's the door. Let me help you get there. Right? Kind of like how we get with some of you guys when you stay an hour after service talking to each other. We help you to the door. That's what Jesus did. He took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. He took the child by the hand and said to her, Talithia Kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately the girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age, and they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it, and he said that something should be given her to eat. I love the Lord. There she is. She's live and she's hungry, mom and dad, so, so get with it. <laughs> right? Back to reality. Back to the practical. Look at the atmosphere, y'all. Don't miss the message. The multiple degrees of separation. Because Jesus' new unbelief had stopping power to what the Father wanted to do in and through him. And, and we have to get that heart. We have to hear this word this morning and understand that unbelief has that same stopping power in our lives. And the Lord wants us to deal with it. Right? So for the rest of our, rest of our time, you guys give me about seven. All right? For the rest of our time, I want to tell you how do we deal with it? How do we deal with it? How do we get it under control? And really what we have to do, y'all, is we have to understand where it comes from. We have to understand how it's produced in us. And how it's produced in us is the same way that faith is produced in us. You go, Brandon, you lost me. It's okay. I'll find you. Here in a minute. Hear me out. Think about how faith is produced in us. Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, right? So without the voice of God, there is no faith. Yes? Give me a couple more head nods in the room. Without the voice of God, you have no faith. You just have something you made up, some opinion that you're going to call God. But unless God speaks, there is no opportunity for faith to happen in the life of the believer, in the heart of the believer. Okay? The good news is, unbelief, it's the exact same way. 
right? It's not this mysterious thing. It's not this blob. It's not this vague thing that's just out there floating around jumping on people. It requires a voice. And this is why unbelief requires a voice. Because unbelief is really belief. Stay with me. Don't get lost here. Unbelief is belief. It's just belief in something contrary to what God says. Right? It's just belief in something that doesn't align itself with the character and the nature and the word and the revelation of Christ. And so you will believe in something. I promise. We're going to line up with and believe what God says and believe who he is and believe in his vision or believe in his word. Or we're going to believe some garbage that the world throws our way. And one is called faith and one is called unbelief. And they're both completely dependent on voices. It's all about the voices. When I saw this, I got so excited, y'all, because I was like, dang, that's easy. All I have to do is control the voices. That's it. That's it. Now, now, here is something you will probably, you probably never thought you would heard me say, ever, especially not from the pulpit. I won't stand behind it. Then it will be unofficial if it would be. I don't care how much you pursue God. I don't care how much time you spend with God. I don't care how much time you pray. I don't care how much time you worship. I don't care how much time you read the word. It will not solve your unbelief problem. Pursuit of God is not the answer to unbelief. It's not. Shutting down the voices of unbelief is the answer to unbelief. Right? Because if we're hearing him and we're growing in faith, but we're still hearing them and we're growing in unbelief, unbelief is still happening. And we can go, Lord, but I'm praying. And he says, I know, but you're listening to garbage. Simple. It's freeing, y'all. It's freeing. That's where I really started to believe, dang, we can. Like, we can overpower unbelief because it's just voices. That's all it is. So when you shut down, just like you shut down the voice of God, you shut down the opportunity for faith. You shut down the contrary voice, you shut down the opportunity for unbelief. It has no legs to stand on. (laughs) Isn't that good? Holy smokes. That helps me. That helps me. And so, what is it, y'all? What's your voice? That's my question. What's your voice? I was praying for you, and I asked the Lord, Father, give, give every one of us a voice. Show us a voice. Show us, show us where it is, God. Expose it. It may be on the inside of you. It may be self-condemnation. It may be thoughts about a voice about how you're not worth anything, how you don't have anything to give, how God hasn't called you, how you don't fit into the body. That may be your voice. It may be. It may be sickness in your body. Listen, that sickness, it has a voice. I promise you, that sickness has a voice. <clears throat> and it is, it is, it wants to wear you down until you believe that God is who he says he is. He's, he's healer, but he's other people's healer. He's not your healer. If it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. That's a voice. That's a voice. And and I want you to shut it down. That's a voice. It may be your family. 
It may be your friends. It may be your coworkers. I'm telling you, there are toxic relationships in this room. Absolutely toxic. They will squander what God is trying to do in your life. They will stop the move of God in your life if you continue to expose yourself to them. You are affected. You are impacted. It is a seed that goes into the ground, and it produces unbelief. And unbelief stops God. It may be television. It may be social media. It may be music. It may be, it may be, it may be, it may be. Ask the Lord. Lord, here's your open invitation to identify unbelieving voices in my life that I need to cut out. Because when I do that, when we do that, together, we're going to create an atmosphere that God can, can do more than we ever thought he could do or would do among us. But if we don't deal with unbelief, church, we're not going there. Stand with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, we worship you. You've been faithful to speak, and we thank you for that, God. You've been faithful to open up our hearts and open up our minds, God, and give us, give me new perspective. And so I pray, Father, right now, Spirit of God, I ask you, I ask you to lay open, lay open hearts and discern between the thoughts and the intent, the deepest parts of us. Your word says that we're bare before you. We can't hide from you. And so, God, give us voices. <laughs> if, you're, if you're bold in this room and you're not afraid of this prayer, lift your hands with me. <laughs> if you actually want the Lord to show you voices, you'll actually go there. Father, show us voices. Show us voices of unbelief. We want to follow you, Jesus. We want to separate ourselves from those voices. We're willing to divorce them. We're willing to never go back to them. Because we want everything you want to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.